If you're ready to unlock your potential to transform the world around you, then join us here on the Love & Leadership Podcast as we dive into the art of leadership, exploring cutting-edge strategies and timeless wisdom, empowering you to become the exceptional leader you were born to be. You'll learn from inspiring interviews with visionaries, changemakers, and thought leaders who give us practical and actionable real-life leadership strategies, and we'll celebrate authenticity and empathy because leadership is about connecting with others on a profound level. So if you're ready to transform your leadership journey, don't miss a single episode of the Love and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe today for access to a wealth of wisdom, inspiration, and actionable strategies. Let's redefine leadership and create a world where every leader leads with love, passion, and purpose. Today, our guest is social entrepreneur and author, Matt Tenney. Matt is an international keynote speaker, a trainer, and a consultant with the prestigious Perth Leadership Institute. His books, Serve to be Great, Leadership Lessons from a Prison, a Monastery, and the Boardroom, and The Mindfulness Edge should be on every leader's bookshelf. Matt's vision is to create a world where people realize that serving others is the key to true greatness. And it certainly is the key to truly great leadership. Matt Tenney, thank you so much for joining me here on the Love and Leadership podcast. Thank you for having me, Beth. This is a pleasure. (laughs) Well, this is the first time you and I are meeting. So before we get started, I want to provide a little bit of background and some context around why I asked you specifically to join me on this very first episode of the Love and Leadership podcast. So I first discovered your work in 2019, and that's when I started uh, my position as the director of a master's in organizational leadership program. And I was searching for a video to clarify these leadership concepts that I was teaching at the time and, and still teach. So leadership concepts like authenticity, trust, empathy, compassion, these things that can be a little hard to wrap your head around and sometimes particularly in a leadership context. And that's when I stumbled on your TED Talk titled, uh, Why the Best Leaders Make Love the Top Priority. And I got to tell you, Matt, this was a game changer for me. For me personally, for the way I teach, uh, for my students, for the way I define my career. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it it gave me a framework and a language around which to collect all these concepts and express them um, in a way that, you know, would tell people what I knew all along. And that is that love is the key to exceptional leadership. So I gratefully blame you, Matt Tenney, (laughs) for starting me on this trajectory that has become the Love and Leadership Podcast. Great. I'll take it. Blame away. (laughs) It's all your fault, and I love it. Thank you. So let's talk about your work and specifically your book, Serve to be Great, where you share lessons from a prison, a monastery, 
in the boardroom. And you have uh, firsthand experience in all three areas. And will you briefly share that journey with us? Sure. Yeah, so a couple of years out of college, I was uh, just getting out of the Marine Corps. I had served as an officer in the Marine Corps and was just getting ready to get out. And I had set some pretty ambitious goals for myself and got a little impatient and tried to take a shortcut um, to achieve those goals. And I attempted a fraud against the U.S. government. And as the result of being pretty stupid and doing several dishonest things, I ended up spending five and a half years confined to prison. And although at first this was, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to me, and it, there was even a while where I was suicidal during that time, it ended up becoming the best thing that ever happened to me, um, principally because about a year into my time in confinement, I started learning about a simple practice called mindfulness, you know, which is just a very basic, very simple way of just training the mind to function better by paying attention to it, by paying attention to the body and the mind. Mm. And... After about six months of starting the practice, I was, um, I was thriving in one of the most stressful environments in the world. And I was actually happier in a prison with nothing than I'd ever been in my life. So I ended up going really deep with the practice and lived and trained as a monk for the last three and a half years that I was there. And then went and lived in a quote unquote real monastery after I left confinement, uh, and almost actually ordained to become a monk the rest of my life. And it, it was because I found that path so meaningful uh you know because i think a lot of people they hear the word monk you know and they think of like oh yeah those are those lazy people right that just sit around <laughs> contemplating their navels all day doing nothing and i used to think the same thing but you know, really the core of the of the monastic way is to give up our own short-term self-interest so that we can be of better service to others and that transformed my experience of being confined into the most meaningful experience of my life and this focus on service and cultivating qualities like kindness and compassion, empathy, that's been my focus ever since. Um, and you know, with, with those types of things being in focus, as you probably would have guessed, I went on to co-found and lead a couple uh, nonprofit organizations and then was noticing how when we apply this spirit of service um, to team members in organizations that it just has amazing effects on not only making life more fulfilling and work more fulfilling, but driving things like employee engagement and retention. And, uh, and I was in a hospital setting at the time. So things like, you know, patient satisfaction scores. And, um, so I, with that, I, I kind of got into some consulting with leadership and helping other leaders do this. And one thing led to another. And before you know it, I was, um, doing that quite a bit. So that's kind of the, the journey and a snapshot there. That's a fantastic journey. Thank you so much. I'm a firm believer and a practitioner of mindfulness. I teach mindful leadership. It's mm. uh, critical, in my opinion, for uh, for leading effectively and certainly into the future. You know, perhaps mindless leadership, more task oriented, has worked in the past, but it will not work from here on out. And I, I dare say that it really worked very well in the past, either. Thank you so much for sharing that awesome experience that uh, sure. led you here with us today <laughs> in the long sure. run. So when we talk about words like service and love, um, generally they're 
is initially a, a disconnect between service and love and leadership and business. Mm. But you say there doesn't have to be a disconnect there. How, when you talk about love and leadership, what, what do you mean? Yeah, I think, I think so many people, I mean, we use the word love so casually, you know, like I love cheeseburgers, you know, I mean, people <laughs> yeah. say stuff like that, you know, um, and it's just normal in our conversation. But I think generally when people hear the word love, they're thinking about a feeling. They're thinking about, I really like something or someone, or I have romantic feelings about someone. And I think that makes it kind of awkward to talk about in business. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think yeah. that's probably why that word tends not to get used very much in the business context. But, you know, I think it should. And But it, as long as we clarify what we're talking about, which is what you're saying, because love is, is not a feeling. Love is an action. It is a verb. And when we love a person, it means that we are extending ourselves for their benefit, right? It means we want the best for them. And if that means we even, we, they have to sacrifice a little bit of ourselves to help them be their best and do their best, we're willing to do that. I mean, it's, it's you think of like how a mother or father interacts with a child. You know, we, we, we raise children wanting them to be happy human beings who provide value to the world around them, who, who provide value to society and ideally can make good decisions. So they leave our house and don't come back. <laughs> you know, part, part of the equation as well, right? Good luck but with that. yeah, the principal idea is we, 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 everything we do is to bring out the best in them so that they can be happy and successful. And that's love, right? But the, the point is you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a child. It doesn't have to be a romantic partner. Even somebody that you don't like very much, if you are a leader in an organization and you have people that you work with that maybe you don't like that much, you wouldn't want to go hang out with them on the weekends, that's okay. It's in everyone's best interest for you to bring out the best in them, to help them be the best version of themselves and to do great work that they're proud of. That's what we're talking about. And I don't think any leader disagrees with that, right? If you, if you think about you know, what is the primary job of a leader at its most basic ground level? It's to inspire greatness in the people that you lead, right? Yeah. If you're a leader of people, you many people in organizations still have some individual contributor type tasks. But I think the best analogy is to think of like a coach in sports. You know, if I'm the coach of an NBA basketball team, I'm not out there shooting free throws, right? I'm not out there trying to steal the ball from the opponent. I'm trying to bring out the best in those team members individually, help them work as best as they can as a team so they can win ball games and win championships. And I think we forget that as leaders in organizations, we get caught up in the tasks and the idea that we, we still do have individual contributor type tasks and we do have to reply to emails and blah, yada, yada. But we forget that if we are a leader of people, our primary job is to serve them in the effort to bring out the best in them, both in terms of them being the best humans they can be and doing great work that they're proud of. I think that's such an important distinction, that the distinction between love as a feeling and emotion um, and love as a verb and an active approach to life in general uh, to certain relationships and to our leadership so that we can um, 
as you said, kind of pave the way for our people to grow and change and develop, become who they are and get out of their way. <laughs> Let them do that. Because in, when we think about organizational growth and development, um, it happens one person at a time. And um, I really appreciate that you see the value and, and now spelled it out very clearly for our audience, uh, the power of service and love in maximizing that human potential. That's awesome. Thank you. Now, this all sounds well and good. <laughs> it, it's such, it, it makes sense and we're all on board and, and these are great words. But if I am, if any members of our viewing community are wanting to embrace this, yes, I believe in loving leadership. I believe in serving my people. How can they do that? What practical steps can they do that? Can they use to do that in their own leadership to kind of create this culture around service and loving leadership? And particularly when they're in organizations that that's not really part of their language or their culture at this point. What advice mm -hmm. do you have? Yeah, well, if, if you like, I think there's four steps. Uh, there's kind of a process to this, and it's it's a process that one leader can apply, and it's also repeatable for that leader and scalable throughout an organization. So the first step is that we as leaders need to overcome our habitual tendency to delay what is really important but not urgent, which is hard for most people. We'd spend a lot of time in that urgent category of things uh, that we need to do. And we forget that the things that are important but not urgent, that's really where all the money's made, both figuratively and, and literally. Um, that's where all the serious growth happens. That's where you get highly leveraged activities. And one of the, the most highly leveraged activities is for coaches or for leaders to serve as coaches who are bringing out the best in their team members. So the first step in my mind is that you know, we've been conditioned all of our lives to think that hitting numbers and achieving short-term goals and doing whatever's in front of us, it's just, it's way easier to check off uh, to-do list things than it is to really put some thought into important but not urgent type activities. And so I highly recommend that leaders rewrite their job descriptions as a first step. Now, I don't mean going to HR and asking them to formally write your job description, but just informally print up your current job description at the top of it, write additional responsibilities. And then on a separate piece of paper, you could type this up and then print it up. You know, it should be some variation of my job is to serve as a coach who inspires greatness in my team by bringing out the best in them, by helping them to be happy, great human beings who do great work. Some, some variation of that, whatever resonates with you. And, and read that several times a day for a while. Um, and some people might be laughing like, oh, this sounds kind of like, you know, the secret or something like that. And it's not. Um, however, this, to give you an idea of how powerful this can be, you know, just think about, um, you know, like how blinded we can be from things by our conditioning. Like I'm sure everyone listening, and I'm sure you bet that at one point you've bought a new car, right? And before you bought the car, you never really noticed that on the road. You, you Maybe once or twice you might have seen it. And then you buy the car 
and you start seeing it everywhere, right? Everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why did that happen? Is it because you're so cool and everyone found out that you had the car and they bought it? Probably. Maybe. Maybe. That could be. You're pretty cool. But a more realistic, more likely explanation is that, you know, our brain is bombarded with information. I, I've read that we receive up to 11 million bits of information every second. The brain can only process about 60 to 90 bits of that information. So there's areas of the brain, I think they're referred to as the reticular formation or reticular activating system, that filter out the vast majority of information that is deemed unimportant. And it's really important that we do that because if we didn't, we'd probably go crazy. Uh, in fact, this, the inability to do that is linked with things like schizophrenia and ADHD. So the, there's a problem though with that is that if something's not deemed as important because we don't believe it subconsciously to be important, we won't see it. That car that you bought, Beth, it was always on the road. <laughs> Your brain literally did not let you see it because it wasn't in that important category. The moment you bought it and it got moved into the important category, it appeared everywhere because your brain now is allowing you to see it. Now, if you think about how that applies to leadership, if we, even if we say, I want to be a leader who serves as a coach and to bring out the best in my team members, to inspire greatness, I want to serve them. If we subconsciously believe because of our conditioning, and I think most people do subconsciously believe this, that what's most important is winning, is hitting the numbers, executing on tasks on my to-do list, then we are literally blind to opportunities to bring out the best in our team members and to grow in our ability to do so. So this is extremely important. We, if we read this new job description, even out loud, it's not that it's the secret and you just think something, it's magic going to happen. But what happens is every time you read this, you're going to think for a couple of minutes, what could I be doing to better serve as a coach, to better prioritize bringing out the best in my team instead of my inbox, right? And every time you spend a little more time thinking about that and, and then acting on some ideas, you're rewiring the, rewiring the brain to believe subconsciously that this is really important. And that opens up a tremendous amount of opportunities to, that we can see to serve team members, to inspire greatness in them, and to grow in our ability to do so. So the second step then is if, if we're doing this regularly the, and more often we're acting from this wisdom that our primary job is to inspire greatness in our team members by serving as a coach, then we naturally, the second step kind of shows itself, which is we need to identify what do people need to be great? Right? What, what do they need to thrive at work? Yeah. And there's really good news on this front. We have decades of research telling us exactly what people need. By my lights, there are 14 needs that are universal. Everybody needs these things to thrive at work. And they're common sense things like, do you have clear performance expectations? Um, do you receive frequent helpful feedback? Do you feel like you belong? Do you feel appreciated? Uh, perhaps the, the most important, according to Gallup, uh, is do you feel like your supervisor cares about you uh, as a person? So the second step then is most of these needs we, we already know, um, but there are individual needs too. And those can be drawn out through um, high quality interactions with team members during one-to-one -one conversations. But then the third step, this is where it's really important. It's if we've identified these needs, then we need to get regular feedback on how well we're meeting mm -hmm. these needs. We need to get regular in bite-sized little bits Am I showing appreciation frequently enough? Is it impactful? Am I giving feedback frequently enough? Is it helpful? You know, getting regular bits of feedback and 
this is one of the keys to me is, uh, well, I guess we'll come back to this in a second, but the fourth step then is to respond to that feedback as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And ideally within a day or so by showing some type of meaningful action. And this can be done if before we ask for feedback, we have a plan for how we're going to respond to it. So if I know I'm going to ask for feedback on how frequently am I showing appreciation, have some type of plan for doing that more often. Um, so that when we get feedback, we already have some ideas of how you could immediately tell team members, you know, thank you for that feedback. I know this is important. I want to get better at it. Here's something that I'm going to start doing. I want you to hold me accountable to this. So this to me is a very systematic approach to gradually being a leader who is consistently day in and day out, prioritizing, loving your team members inspiring the best in them, inspiring greatness in your team members. And I guess that at the simplest level, the simplest overview is if we have these 14 universal needs and we just come up with a plan for regularly meeting these 14 universal needs, but it has to be done in little habits, you know, and and this is a Mm -hmm. key part is like, you can't, you can't just read one book and magically you're going to be a great (laughs) leader. You know, you can't go to a full day of training and walk out of there being a great leader, it takes little bits of feedback, little bits of habit changing over time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's to me, is really the key. And this awareness that you uh, alluded to um, originally, what's important and what role do I play in, um, in bringing out what is important, you know, gathering the information I need to make that prioritization and um, using people's talents and making sure that they can do what is important to them. So I love that you bring up, um, you know, asking (laughs) with using open-ended questioning, high-quality questioning. That's one thing that I push and push with my students is, um, you know, how do we know that we are leading well? Well, ask, right? (laughs) People will tell you what they need. People will tell you how you're doing as long as you, you know, question um, ap- appropriately, you know, with an open heart and an open mind and uh, what I would call a loving way. And, and asking the right people. I mean, you can ask your peers and your boss how well you're doing as a leader, and they'll be able to tell you things like, oh, you know, I've noticed this or that, you know, probably more to do with your ability to think strategically, to plan, to execute, maybe a little bit on your people skills, but where you're going to get the best feedback is asking the people you lead. What can I do to better serve you? What can I be doing to help you be your best and do your best so that you love being here? That's who we need to ask. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's so true. Um, And another thing that um, I think is important that perhaps we don't talk about enough is um, how do I know? And for example, uh, yes, I'm a trustworthy leader. Yes, I uh, love my team. Well, how how do you know? Well, because I feel it. Okay, no, <laughs> that's great. But how do you know they know? What evidence are you collecting? And and you alluded to that in that there are you know all different kinds of ways to get this information to uh, be able to tell ourselves whether we are being. Um, whether we are conducting our leadership in a way that people need it to be conducted, that our organizations need it to be conducted. 
and uh, you know where we need to improve and you know, of course and then to seek out those resources but i always say um, and any student of mine who's listening you know will roll their eyes when i say where's your evidence gather the evidence and and that's i think where this mindfulness comes in this awareness in particular gather the evidence be aware of uh, what is truly going on in your situation what are you putting out what are you getting out what are the outcomes what are just the facts ma'am if you will um, and then using that to love the people you know just to do what's right and what's good and what will contribute at a higher level so I'm sorry I am preaching to the choir and I am a, a, a leading member I am I, I love this stuff so one thing I do want to talk about, though, um, is based on some feedback that I get a lot from students and clients uh, that they are uncomfortable with their own power and influence. There's a, a, a discomfort around those words that surprises me. And... Um, I came across an interview that you did with Skip Pritchard, and this was done a few years back, but um, a quote just really stood out to me in this regard. And you said, there is no better way to build our influence with others than to serve them. So what would you say to people, especially those in leadership positions who have a, a negative association with terms like power and influence? Well, I think that it's good to have a negative association with power because, um, yeah, that, that right. I argue it depends some, on how you use it, right? Yes, exactly. I think I think that will create some humility because, you know, I, I think there's people who get into leadership particularly because they crave some power, and the results of that are usually pretty poor. <laughs> we we see it in all areas of of organizations, uh, all types of organizations. So yeah, I think it's it's probably okay. I think that's a healthy concern, and to me, that would be a sign, a good sign that this person's going to have some humility, and probably thrive as a leader. Um, so, my, but my guidance would be to understand that, you know, if you have a leadership position, this is an incredible opportunity. A, and B, it's it's a responsibility. Uh, so you know, it's not like. And I think this is probably most awkward for people who are promoted from a peer group and their peers now become direct reports, mm. this can become really, really tricky. But not so much if you see yourself not as a boss, but as a coach. And good news, people don't want a boss. In fact, I would argue nobody needs a boss. Anybody who has got some modicum of intelligence and is some has some modicum of talent at what they do, they don't need someone telling them what to do. <laughs> they need someone who can serve as a coach. Mm. And so this is... I think that that whole reframing, the job description that I mentioned earlier, that helps with this this discomfort. It's because we're not getting into leadership so that we have more power. We're getting into leadership so that we can create more positive impact in the lives of the people that we lead and in the uh, the people that our organization serves. That's if you're getting into leadership because of those reasons. Mm -hmm. You are already stepping off on a great 
foot and you're going to be much more likely to succeed. And then of course, as we just talked about a moment ago, the real trick is how do I do it? Right? How, how do I go from, I want to do this to I do it consistently in a way that I don't get burned out and that, um, you know, it's actually consistently bringing out the best in my team members and not because some people hear this message, you know, and they think like, oh, okay, so there shouldn't be any accountability. You know, we should just kind of right. be nice to people all the time. And, yeah. you know, I would say like, I-, I could see how people could misperceive that. But if you think about it, I mean, that that's not serving anybody. <laughs> you know, right. that's like any day that if you allow people to consistently be mediocre, you are just setting them up for pain. That is not loving them. That is setting them up for pain. So the trick is, how do you how do you not allow someone to be mediocre? And the answer is don't be a boss, be a mm. coach. And your motivation is not so that you can have more power so that you can have a pay raise or look better. The motivation is because that's what's best for them, mm-hmm. right? If you help that person to be excellent, that's what's best for them. That's what's going to set them up so that they enjoy going to work. Their self-esteem is high. They're proud of what they do. They're more likely to get promoted. They're more likely to be successful in their careers because you're helping them do that. And I think this is one of the greatest opportunities for leaders is most people, I would say it's fair to say this, looking at our society, most people are pretty consistently mediocre. <laughs> and it's it's not because people are lazy. It's not because people are bad. I used to think that. I used to think there are people that just don't work hard or people that aren't talented. I, I think there's a the preponderance of evidence is proving me wrong. And all there are are bad environments that create bad habits. Mm, and point. the problem is that bad habits are very easy to form. They're very hard to break. Good habits are very hard to form and very easy to break. So most of us need a coach to help us be the best that we can be. Look at the best athletes in the world. They all have like 10 coaches. Right. <laughs> telling them all the time, here, you could do better on this little micro habit. You could do better at this, blah, blah, blah. They're getting coached all the time. And so I think this is a service that we can provide as managers. If Instead of seeing ourselves as a boss, seeing ourselves as a coach whose primary responsibility is to help people be the best version of themselves, to do their best work. And again, not for me, not so I can get a pay raise or look good or have more power, mm-hmm. but because that's what's best for them, because I want to love them not the feeling. I don't have to like them. (laughs) It's the action. I want to love them, the verb, by helping them to thrive. I I love that. I frequently say that love and leadership is not for the faint of heart. It is, uh, it's a choice you make every day. And and sometimes it's really hard. And, but the rewards are fantastic. um, As as you just, just like habit. Yeah. Yeah, just like habits, it's hard in the short term. Yeah. In the long term, holy cow, the benefits yeah. are unbelievable. And I'm not Love just that. talking like feel-good benefits. I'm talking like business benefits, the leverage. You know, if you create individuals who are leaders in and of them for themselves, like you, you develop leaders, you develop people who are masters of their craft, who are good leaders of others. So you get to the point where you could go on vacation for two months and when you come back, Things have not only been fine, they might have gotten better. There might have been process improvements that your team came up with to reach goals faster. That is what happens when you love people. And it, and if you don't, you know, if you just see people as commodities and you try to, you know, use the whip to to get people to do what you want them to do like a boss, yeah. good luck. 
Good luck seeing people who will naturally want to improve processes to hit a goal faster. Good luck finding people who will give discretionary effort because they want to. There's no you, better demotivator just... than because I said so. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I could have this conversation all day, uh, every day. And I know that we are limited on our time here together. So I want to uh, turn the conversation back to you, Matt. And as we wrap up this episode, um, what would you like to share with the love and leadership community? What's going on in your world that you'd like us to know? Um, hmm. Well, there's a whole lot going on. I'm not sure how much of it would be of any value to your listeners. Did you have anything in particular in mind? Uh, do you have speaking engagements coming up? Or, um, how do we contact you if we are interested? Um, because in particular, you talked about uh, being a coach, a leadership coach um, to our teams, but even coaches need coaches, right? And I know um, that, um, you know, that that's your purview. You have made a, a whole wonderful career on that, an international career. So how do we get in touch with you if we are hoping to uh, promote this style of service-oriented love and leadership in ourselves and in our teams and in, in our organization? Oh, uh, gotcha. That, that's very easy. I mean, I'm yeah. like, very Googleable, <laughs> so, uh, but there, also the website is just the same as what you put into Google, Matt Tenney. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that if, if you are wanting to grow in this area, there's a lot of things that are on the internet that different, uh, interviews or speaking engagements or whatever, that hopefully you have plenty of resources to, to help, um, maybe just starting with the website or quick Google search. Okay. And we'll be sure to include your contact information on our landing page here. So anybody who is in the love and leadership community can uh, just find you right here by through love and leadership. So I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt Tenney, for joining us today and helping me launch the Love and Leadership podcast. I really appreciate your time, effort, and energy. We just hit the surface. I'm just ramping up on this discussion and it has to end. <laughs> well, maybe another time we can continue it. Absolutely. The uh, next in a series of uh, Matt and Beth podcasts. So thank you again, Matt Tenney. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to the Love and Leadership podcast. And I hope you really enjoyed this episode and that it inspires you to lead with love in all aspects of your life. Because remember that love and leadership is a superpower that transforms the world around us. So let's go out there and make a difference, one love and act at a time. I'm Dr. Beth Merkel, and I can't wait to connect with you again on the next episode of Love and Leadership. Thank you for joining us on this incredible journey we call Love and Leadership. Now it's time for you to take action and unleash your true leadership potential. Here are four easy steps you can take today. Number one, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Number two, share. Share the love with your friends, colleagues, and fellow leaders. Number three, connect to our love and leadership community by clicking the link below. And finally, take the knowledge and wisdom that you've gained from this podcast and put it into action. 
The Love & Leadership Podcast is more than just a podcast. It's a movement. Together, let's rewrite the leadership narrative and create a world where love, passion, and purpose thrive. I can't wait to see the incredible impact you'll make as a love and leader. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, lead on with love. A Huda Media Production.